Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. Good. I just was out. Uh, I was at a practice for myself. It's coached by uh, Jim Fleming, wow. legendary coach. He's been, uh, I don't know how old he is. I think he might be in his 80s, and he's still coaching out there, coaching adults how to play hockey. So uh, learned a lot. I learned a lot every time I go out there. We were working on our forwards to backwards pivot, and we learned a little oh, yeah. trick about doing that and being balanced. So okay. that was, uh, yeah, he's a fantastic coach. He's Adam Oates of Edmonton, isn't he? Like the skills coach? <laughs> There's lots of skills coaches in Edmonton, of mm-hmm. course, and lots of very good ones. You know, Blair Becker, uh, Core Hockey. There's the Quantum Speed people. There's Chris Joseph, the former owner at Base Hockey, an outstanding shooting coach. So no shortage of really fine uh, coaches all around. Uh, and and the, uh, you know, uh, the Quantum Speed Pelche, the Oilers uh, skating coach, came out of the uh, Quantum Speed group. So. Oh, yeah. So we can thank Ethan Bear for uh, for you know we can thank Quantum Speed for Ethan Bear's uh, skating habits. Oh yeah. So Bruce, it was a I, I was so I missed I came back late to the game and um, uh, watched it on on uh, the PBR and uh, I was just glad to see because when I left it the orders were down two to one so I I wasn't so upset with the loss I was just glad they came back and got the loser point which is, of course, huge in today's NHL. So they lost 3-2 to two in overtime. Um, we're going to do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. Bruce, what is your good thing? Oh, well, I'm going to go with that early Oilers goal, minute 31 into the game. Yeah. Uh, welcome back, Mr. McDavid, after a tough game. I had a feeling he might come out shot, shot out of a cannon after uh, probably hearing a little criticism, more likely probably in- internally criticizing his own performance in uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, And then uh, watching the pregame ceremony where uh, Leon Dreisaitl receives the uh, Molson Cup for the best oiler in October, and that's usually uh, Connor's uh, private area. So maybe that just motivated him a little bit too. But anyway, he came out, and I loved the goal. And what I really loved about the goal was uh, uh, McDavid coming out of his own zone and so often we see him when he comes out of his own zone with speed and he just roars up the ice and he tries to beat three or four guys. And instead, he dished the puck off to Leon and uh, let Leon look after the neutral zone while he broke into open ice. And, of course, the sharp backhand pass came right back on his tape as he hit the blue line. By now, it's a one-on-one. And even a great defenseman <clears throat> like Oliver ekman Larson is hard-pressed to contain Connor McDavid one on one, and and OEL could not do it. Uh, McDavid just put the dipped the shoulder on him, went right around him, went right around Darcy Kemper, and tucked her home. Colby Cave style goal. It was a beauty. <laughs> oh, you know what OEL's mistake was, Bruce? He didn't just grab him, throw him to the ice because the refs weren't yeah. going to call him. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. Yeah, my good thing, Bruce, was Ethan Bear. And uh, I, I was just, again, impressed because he seems to be getting increasing, like his incompetence with the puck seems just to be going up. He's just making all kinds of smart passes all night long. Just every time he gets it, and he, he seems to make a good play. And he's really good also defensively in those little corner battles, using his body to separate the puck from the opposing four checker 
or, or, or to keep use his body to keep the forechecker away. He just makes these little moves, quick little dekes with the puck, mm-hmm. McIver-esque, and um, he's free and he makes a nice pass. He's just, he's just playing fantastic hockey. He really is, and it's so unexpected. It's such a great thing for the Oilers to have. He's the bedrock. He and Nurse are the bedrock of that defense. They're playing great hockey right now. So um, not not all the time they have the odd defensive laps, and we're going to get into that shortly mm-hmm. uh, with Nurse. But um, I, I just think Ethan Bear is continuing to improve um, as he gets more and more confident. Lovely Norm McIver re- reference there. Yes. Uh, largely forgotten, but terrific Oiler from uh, the 1991-92 season. Uh, and they lost him in the expansion draft, I think, right after that to Ottawa, where he scored something like 60 points the next year. But he was uh, he was yin to Dave Manson's yang. Great and pairing, Ethan, eh? Ethan Bear is to Darnell Nurse what yeah. Norm McIver was to uh, uh, Charlie Manson there on the on. The, and that was Edmonton's top pairing with a bullet at that time. Very similar and pairing, eh, Bruce? He does. He does those little pivots. Like he, I, I'm, I'm impressed by his nimbleness on his skates, and by his decision making. Like how he'll do this little button hook, and all of a sudden he'll, he'll have left a checker, and there'll be a little opening, and it's long enough for him to make a pass, and it's almost always a good pass, and then the puck is up and out of the zone more often than not. And how he handles that forechecking pressure, it's really impressive. He walked the line so calmly with the puck a few times, just kind of carrying it along. Like it's, he's, there's no panic in him when he's, when he's in that situation and he makes a good play. I love it when he and Nurse are out there with McDavid and Dreisaitl and don't actually like it very much when the other, <laughs> I'm kind of crabby about it a little bit when mm-hmm. I see the other defensemen out there. I think like, no, get, get, cause you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl are dominating the puck in the offensive end. And then it goes back to, a non-creative defenseman and nothing happens with it. But right. you put it back to bear or nurse and something good, especially bear, but nurse really activates a lot. Yeah, so he he's, he's pretty strong on the offense. He has his own thing going on in the offensive end. Mm-hmm. So, and they needed to find him the right kind of partner, which is to say not Chris Russell and <laughs> probably not Adam Larson. No, and, you know, somebody with skill who can, you know, who, who, because uh, Darnell has his own thing. He's a rover to me, and, and uh, carrying the puck fine. Uh, passing is not necessarily his number one skill. Uh, he does a lot of things out there. Uh, but, how you know, playing with a, a steady puck-moving guy is uh, just what the doctor ordered for him. Yeah, McIver and Madsen. Alrighty, uh, Bruce, what is your bad thing? Well, you know, I'm going to have to single out uh, Mr. Referee and other Mr. Referee tonight. I thought they were brutal. They were terrible. They were brutal. They were calling garbage penalties for nothing. And then, I don't know what it was that Leon Dreisaitl, maybe they didn't like his cologne, if you'll forgive the German joke, (laughs) or something. Because, holy moly, he was getting manhandled in this game. There were three obvious, obvious penalties where one where he got elbowed right in the head, uh, another time where Oliver Ekman Larson basically tackled him to the ice while he was getting beat wide, and the third time where a guy carved him with a vicious two-hander in the neutral zone. And then there was a fourth one where, where uh, uh, Jacob Chikrin tackled him in the aftermath of a, of a scrum around the net. And that was one sort of a clearing the crease one. You can see that one going one way or the other. But that was the only one of the four. I thought it was a penalty, and the other three 
where like obvious penalties need to be called. You can't you can't miss those, and they missed three of them on the same player. And then they called crap like the stuff one they called on Cassian, where I'm not sure he touched the guy. And on Neil, and, what did Neil do? Like, yeah, the both those penalties I thought like it was the weirdest officiated game. Uh, I mean, they, they, and we they, didn't get. It wasn't the Oilers that got up the short end of all the calls, though. I would say more than the other way around. Was, yeah. This was poor. There was no standard in this it game. Was, the standard it, was garbage. It was like, whatever. We're yeah. going to see one, and we're going to miss ten. It was kind of let them play, except then when it then wasn't. It, when it wasn't, and uh, there was a lot of let them play things where there weren't calls where there could have been. Easily calls, so yeah, I agree. That I thought. I mean, Jujar Kara got away with a way more blatant foul than the ones that they called on on Neil and and uh, and Cassian. Um, yeah, this was one of the poorest officiated games I've seen all year, and uh, that's saying a lot. Well, you well, don't. This, you know, this it's, year, it's only I, about I one in been, five. You know, maybe uh, one in ten games that you really notice it. And this is well, they've they've played. 16 games, maybe two games so far where we've talked about the refs at length. And this is one of them. Yeah. This is the worst. This was the worst uh, job that they, that we've seen. Uh, okay. My bad thing. Bruce is going to be all three goals against they were like, it, it's sometimes there's like other bad plays in a game, but it seemed like the Oilers, all of their worst plays ended up in the back of their net. And, and it was, it was, um, you know, on the first two goals, it's just two guys. Koskinen, obviously, uh, he went full Koskinen spring 2019 on that first one, where he just absolutely—I don't know—I think he was—I think he was thinking pass because he he was not in position at all. It was brutal, and he just got beat on a on a you know just a B or C scoring chance shot. He should have had that. It was a real good shot, and it was just in a perfect hole, but there should have been no hole. I mean, the guy shooting yeah. from the boards, for God's sake, out right behind the hash mark, and he beat some short side. I mean, that's just uh, the goalie not really being set for the for the play, and that was Edmonton's only lead of the game. They led one nothing from the one one and a half minute mark to the three and a half minute mark, and they never led again after that week and, and yeah, goal against. You know my theory is Bruce when you when it when a team lets in a bad goal like a, when a goalie lets in it the team usually loses and uh, one year I actually tracked it and I think it turned out to be true like um it just so deflating uh, mm-hmm. at any level of hockey and I'm sure at the NHL more than more than all the others when the goalie lets in a bad goal and it we haven't seen that a lot we haven't seen that hardly at all this year it's been amazing so, um, but we saw it tonight and that was a bad one from Koskinen. Now to give him credit and the announcers made a lot of this, he did battle back and he was pretty, he was, he was damn strong. He made some good saves the rest of the game. And, um, certainly the other two goals, I mean, he might've had them, but they were pretty good shots. So, so then there was, uh, Joel Parson, Bruce, who, who, um, you know, if we're completely honest, has been struggling with confidence, I would say, uh, and maybe ex- inexperience more to the point where um, he's been thrust into a top four role. He's playing with a pretty good player in Clefbaum, but he's he just doesn't seem confident moving the puck. His passes are all a little bit off, a little bit soft. And finally it caught up with him when he failed to get it past the player in the offensive zone. They go down the ice. And he he's also a little bit weak maybe on the check of the player. He's kind of catches up to him. He could have been a little bit more forceful and they score. And that's the last we saw of him that game. What do you, what did you think of him? I, pretty clear. He was benched there. What did you think? Oh of yeah. Him? No, Tippett, Tippett was quite forthright about that in the post game. 
Okay. Uh, and he said he had a tough game all night. And that was just kind of the final straw. You know, he said it wasn't like it was just the one mistake. And, and I certainly know there was one play late in the first period where Connor Garland had two great chances from in close where Koskinen made maybe his two best saves of the night. And Person was the victim on those as well. Yeah, we have a marked down for those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, he uh, his weak um, pass of the puck led to the problem, but his total inability to cope with the counterattack, like there was just a bigger, stronger, apparently faster guy, and he just yeah he couldn't tie up his stick, he couldn't haul him down, he couldn't do anything other than watch him shoot the puck in the net. So the like I I hope we don't see Manning back in the lineup. So what what I'm hoping is what I think they should do is move Benning up to play with Cluffbaum for a while. And move Parison to play with Russell in a third pairing and see how that goes. I, I mean, the, there was a, a seven-game stretch when they put Manning in; they scored nine goals. I don't think that's a coincidence. He was, he's, they're just not a puck-moving team. They, it changes the complexion of the team considerably when that bottom pairing can't move the puck at all or, or just really struggles. Now, Benning, um, I thought he might have had his best game of the year. He was, he just seemed more assertive into the game. He was getting more ice time and maybe, maybe he's ready to move up and play with cleft bomb. But I, I, that's what I hope to see is Parson move down to Russell. What about you? What, how would you, what would you, uh, or would you just well, put him back out there with cleft bomb? Well, that's one option. Uh, I have a feeling, uh, just judging from, uh, the expression on, uh, on Tippett that, uh, he might be in the press box for a game or two. And I guess Manning will be the first choice. Uh, I'd be tempted <laughs> to call up, recall either Lagason or, or Caleb Jones and put them in. Play play and, Caleb Jones. And uh, they're, you know, I mean, those guys are playing good hockey down there in, uh, in Bakersfield. I mean, poor Lagason, he was on the roster for two weeks and never got a game. So Move Benning up to the second pairing with Clefbaum and put Caleb Jones in there. Um, with Russell on the right side, or Jones on the right side. Jones plays the right side often on the farm team, although he's been more recently teamed up with Evan Bouchard. Yeah, this is an interesting time. Like, if Person can't cut it, and that's always, you know, this has always been a possibility. Um, I don't, I, I actually hope they don't bench him. I hope they go back to him and just put him on the third pairing. And I think if if he's facing slightly lesser minutes and lesser competition, that maybe that'll work. And uh, Russell's a pretty good safety blanket. He plays it pretty pretty safe. So that's what I would hope to see. Um, are we on? Oh, so we're still on my bad thing. And then the last goal, the overtime goal. Like, okay, James, listen, I've said this before, and I'll say it again until it stops happening. James Neal should not be out in overtime. James Neal is a fantastic power player. And he's an okay even strength player. He is a terrible. He is not a good three on three player. He's too slow. He can't make a play. And he coughed up the puck. He has the puck in the neutral zone, and he coughs it up, and he chases it in, and he gets, he gets beat, um, in in that zone, and they break up. They, he's not fast enough to play. I would have Haas out there over him. Haas can skate. Like pick the players who can skate. Nugent Hopkins is fantastic. In I'd have Cassian ahead of him at this point. Cassian, sure. Like, yeah. Sure. So. So then Nuge, uh, Nuge gets a little bit aggressive and he makes a, he, he's beat on the play, but the, I don't understand. Nurse seemed to be in perfect position, Bruce, to stop that two on one pass. 
Mm-hmm. And somehow it got through him. And that was frustrating. Moved too. his stick out of the passing lane and boom, the pass got zipped right by, right in front of him, right where his stick had been a split second before. And I just don't know why he moved it because the danger play was always that pass. Yeah. And like, I don't know what he was going to do with the stick on the forehand side. It had to be in the lane. So it's too bad in the sense that Nurse had played, I thought, a pretty strong game until yeah. then. But when you get burned on the game-winning goal, well, sorry, that's going to show up in your game grade, Darnell. <laughs> it's a tough, it is a tough play to make the two-on-one, right? But you do have one, you have uh-huh. one job. It's to stop that lateral, that, that pass across. Uh-huh. He was in perfect position to do it. And... Uh, it didn't get done, so that was that was a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I hated Neil's play on that one. He, yeah, he, he just glided into the corner, and he, you know he had no angle on the guy. He didn't try and check him. He didn't make a thrust to try and get the puck. It was just like he was just—I don't know what he was doing. He Bruce, was just it's gliding on the, around. You can't glide in three on three. Uh, and, it's on the and, coach. It's on the coach. It's not on James and then, Neal. And then coach should not have him out there. Well, you still got to you got to make a better effort than that. And then Nuge took a bad angle to the to the puck and small speed both of them with one little swoop, and up the ice he went. And I, honestly, I didn't think the back check was anything special. Like that that two on one, that uh, that was a long way up the ice. And I thought I thought Nuge was going to close on him, and he just never did. And it wasn't like Smaltz was flying at 100 miles an hour. It just seemed like it was just sort of. They were both kind of chugging up the ice, and I guess after you know a long night's work, maybe that's all that's left in the tank. But uh, uh, it uh, uh, it didn't look good on any of the three skaters. Honestly, I didn't think the the game winner. Yeah. Well, I hope we don't see James Neal on three on three anymore. <laughs> I have a feeling we will, but I hope we don't. It's it's like it's not as bad as sending Lucic out there. I mean, that was a whole other category of awful. But that yeah, happened. It's an it, entirely predictable outcome when they did it. Sure did, and it didn't happen again. Now, oh. uh, I think it was going to take a goal like this, where Neil kind of tips it in ineffectively and then gets cut up ice. Maybe that's is going to the coach will wake up and not do it again. Well, I, I hope it, that's the what happens. The dump in forecheck game is is that's not what you see in three on three, and that's no. kind of Neil's strength. You know, I mean, yeah. other than obviously his his shot and taking advantage of. Scoring opportunities, but uh, you got to have a little bit of all ice game to succeed in the three on three. There's just so much ice to cover. What's your number? Uh, I'm going to go with, I think I'll go with plus nine, Matthew Benning. And he was, uh, he is now plus nine, leading the Oilers defense by a mile. I think Chris Russell is next at plus three. And I don't, honestly, David, I don't know how the guy does it. But year after year, he's like a real solid plus player. And it doesn't even matter if the Oilers suck. He's still a solid plus player. And he's already up to plus nine. Uh, He's been on the ice at five-on-five play. And I think he was on for a four-on-four goal as well. At five-on-five, he's been on for 11 goals for three against. And it's not like they're dominating the shot clock or dominating play. But... He does. He does make some smart plays, and and uh, tonight I thought his passing of the puck was particularly good. Like his, he's a little erratic, and, you know, but uh, tonight he made a lot of good outlet passes from his own. It was and as good as I've he, seen it. He made us, uh, you know, a, a real good smart play just to simply let loose that shot when he did into the traffic in front. That Gaetan Haas was credited with the tip home for his first NHL goal and a big one it was to earn a 
where there's a standing point and at least a chance at a second one. Nice tip by Haas. And and Benning, he, he, he suddenly he looked like the Benning of the 2017 playoffs. And I don't know where that player's been, but that player could pass the puck. Now, one of the theories I've heard is that he's had a couple hard hits, been banged up, and that had a big impact on him mm-hmm. and kind of took the mickey out of him a little bit in terms of his play. It's a good theory. Um, you know, in terms of goals plus minus, it's, I don't think it's a stat even for a whole year that I put a lot of weight in with a player. Mm-hmm. But year after year after year after year, like Chris Russell, like mm-hmm. Matt Benning, you start to see it year after year of a guy who's plus, you got to put some weight on that, Bruce, I, I feel. And, and, and so what I would say about Benning is he is a fundamentally sound defensive player. And, and that's, that seems like damning with faint praise. Like it's, that's not saying, but actually that's really huge. He is invariably almost always making the right decision. And he's almost always on the right side of his player in the defensive zone. He's not cut out of position. He's always in the right spot and he battles hard and and he can move the puck sort of. Okay. So this is what he's got some really good things. If he could only move that puck a little bit better, he'd be a top four D man. Mm -hmm. But there's so many plays, Bruce, where he just doesn't hit the player on the stick with the pass. It's frustrating. So this is why there's some negative feeling about the player, I, I, I believe. Now, there's a, it's a little bit I, over the top. Some of the feedback I get, it's like he was he beat up somebody in grade school or something in terms of some of the, some of the commentary. That, that Like there's some serious hate for the guy, and I just don't understand it. Uh, you know, Edmonton boy uh, who uh, was drafted by Boston. Uh, went for his free agent option and chose Edmonton. And, yep, he's a target of abuse from a few corners, and I just I just don't get it. Like, he's not Bobby Orr, but who the hell is? You know, I mean, when you get a free NHL caliber, even a third pairing or bottom six player, and they just, no acquisition cost, you just get them. And they step into the lineup and play and don't get killed, which he's never gotten killed. Um, those players have value. And he's right shot. He's a right shot player, right? He wouldn't be in the lineup, I don't think, if Probably he was left not. shot. But he's a right shot and he's good enough and he's a good third pairing player. I wish he, you know, there there is that glimpse that we all saw of him. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it was a mirage in the 2017 playoffs after Sekera went out and. Right. There was one game, especially, where he just totally was just like, wow, look at this guy. And it seemed like there was lots of those moments in the 2016-17 season with Benning where he just seemed like such a smart player with the puck and capable of making those plays. And then suddenly he just started to get kind of hacky with it, you know, just hacking it out and hacking passes up the ice and lacking confidence. Maybe it was a coaching thing. Maybe he didn't have the right mentoring at the NHL level in terms of, you know, we want you to hold that puck and make a good pass and maybe take a risk pass it up the middle of the ice like there was the whole put it up the boards put it up the boards thing with the orders obviously going on for a long time and now that's changed a little bit and maybe and i saw benning make a couple nice passes up the middle tonight he did so, he did and he so, made a beauty to colby cave the other day that led to a goal and so maybe so he's going to do that he's starting to, he's starting to look up and find the guy and actually make the pass uh, a little bit more reliable reliably and and you know and he does make the odd certainly blunder where you know he whiffs on the puck or you know he just makes some makes some kind of physical mistake like he's not a physically gifted player 
but he plays with his head and and I think he plays with his heart like uh, he really does battle oh hard I have no problems with the player I think for for where he is you know I mean it's like saying in baseball well that number eight hitter that you got uh, playing shortstop he should have 25 homers and 100 RBIs well no he probably shouldn't you know like have realistic expectations and I think he's meeting them so are you saying he's the Chris Spire of the Oilers? <laughs> <laughs> the Spike Owen? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, <laughs> uh, anyway, plus, 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 minus. I know some people absolutely hate it, but for actual depth players, they don't get a lot of power play time. They don't see a lot of shorties on their watch. They don't see any empty net goals on their watch. They're legit. What happens five on five when they're out there? And now in his career, he's been on the ice for 33 more goals for the Oilers than for the other guys. And the Oilers have had bad teams for you know, some of that time. People say there's the small sample size for plus-minus goals, but the sample size for a whole season is 82 games, right? It's the whole season. It's, it's, it's every minute you're on the ice. That's a pretty big sample size. And then when you get to 164 games or 250 games, and, and you still have this plus going on, mm-hmm. again, I... I, I think that's wrongheaded at that point, not to put some weight on it. I think that you're making a mistake in terms of your analysis if if that's uh, if that's what you're doing. Well, outscoring is what the game is about. Sure is. All right. Uh, my number is five. That's the number of hits that Zach Cassian threw, including just a couple, just absolutely brutal hits, um, where he hit to Jordan Osterley um, really hard. Oh, God. Rick Tockett was beside Rick Tockett just wanted to jump on the ice and fight Zach Cassian at that second. And he couldn't do it because he's the coach. But that was the kind of hit that Rick Tockett threw a hundred times in his NHL career. And if somebody threw it against his teammate, he would fight the guy. He would fight the the kind of player he was. Oh yeah. So you could just see him on the bench. He just didn't know what to do. Like he just was like he was this this he was I I thought he might actually explode. Uh, because he was going to go in all these directions at once. He didn't know how to handle that. But what a hit by Cassian. And then he followed that up a few minutes later with another really hard hit, a, a, a guy along the boards. And then it got contagious. Nuge was starting to hit. Whereas we saw Nasty Nuge, Bruce. And I have to say, I really like Nasty Nuge. I think mm-hmm. Nasty Nuge uh, should be, should he should do more of that. Because when he starts to play physical, and, he, and we've seen it a couple times this year, that kind of forcefulness from Nugent Hopkins. He's he can really lay on the body because he's got a low. He's great on. He's so solid on his skates. He's fast, and uh, I think he's maybe a little. I don't know if he's a little heavy or something, but he's 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 tough. He's got to be at least beginning his young man strength by now. I mean, I don't know. It's, it might take another thirty years before he gets his old man strength, but uh, he's got. You know, he, he's he's no longer the weakling. Uh, you know that uh, that he appeared to be at times in the, in his younger years. He was such a slight, slender fellow. Yeah. Uh, but he's uh, he's all grown up now, right? He's twenty six years old, and uh, he's. I got, like that uh, line. Yeah, and when when he plays with a little bit of edge, I think he's a little more effective, frankly. Yeah, he needs to. And I mean, he's not he's not Dave Keon, and we shouldn't expect him to be Dave Keon. But he, you know, he needs to he needs to uh, uh, expand maybe a little bit on his game, and that's one way, one area that uh, that he can. Another one is faceoffs, where he won ten of fourteen tonight. So oh, there you go. 
He's bringing the nasty on the dot. All right. <laughs> Is that it? Are we done? Yeah, I'll leave Colby Cave's horrible line change for the game grades. Um, okay. <laughs> and a couple other observations. I, I, I didn't love this game. I, I, the Coyotes games just drive me mental. They come in here and they walk up with two points over and over and over and over again. And they did it again. The no-namers, yeah. Well, good for them. Yeah, I guess. Good for them. Frustrating. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>